And right. now that you've pointed that out, it's very easy to just ignore yeah. anything they say because I can just say, oh, this is from so-and-so. This is right. from... I, I don't know who those guys are. But, and you uh, said and you said real damage to society from these two. So, and what, to that I would say, well, it's not that you had to reverse their information or their what they were telling people. What Where did the damage come from? Well, their influence on these parties that can go to war and inflict aggression onto people. Welcome back to the Do Less Podcast. We've been living up to our name and haven't recorded in a couple of months now, so it's good to be back with the crew. We have a special guest here, Jack Epstein, as well. He's going to be listening in, chiming in if he's got anything to say. But, uh, yeah, today we want to talk a little bit about um, misinformation and fake news. Uh, I was just talking to Jack at dinner tonight about how the first time I'd ever heard the phrase fake news was during Trump's 2016 uh, election. when Trump started using the term fake news to kind of discredit, like, some fake news stories or some actual facts and he, it became sort of a uh, a joke of a term to say something is fake news because trump would just take any actual facts about himself and call it fake news and uh common sense fake and news. common sense and left-wing people would, would look at him and say like come on you're just discrediting everything anyone says by using the term fake news and and that term became a joke um but now as of late, and with uh, when the left-wing media and anybody uh, even centrist now on subjects like coronavirus and anything else um, now use a similar discrediting technique using the terminology of misinformation, which is really saying the same exact thing as fake news, but just using a, another term because the term fake news has been sort of tainted by Donald Trump. Um, I think it's kind of hilarious just to kind of rebrand the same the same idea, but uh, I think what, what it really brings into question is kind of who decides who decides what what is true and what's mis- misinformation is an interesting question that we kind of have to ask ourselves, and I think uh, it sort of puts the onus on the the reader to do their own sort of research and background checking. But um, in any event, we've seen both right right and left uh, sides of the aisle sort of using terms like fake news and misinformation to sort of brush past uh, facts or arguments from the other side, which is maybe an interesting place to start. Um, just the fact that there is a, uh, a different terminology used by the different sides, I think, makes people talk past each other. But in any event, you guys have any takes on that? Well, misinformation is clearly, like, fancy. So like you know that's like that's smart you know right like fake news that sounds dumb so it's like that's clearly that's clearly wrong but misinformation that's like ah oh, sophisticated like lots yeah. of syllables it's the fancy Definitely fake news you'd be being used appropriately but um yeah no I I agree that you said it's like it is funny that everyone it, like fake news became a meme a meme that I use all the time. <laughs> When someone says something I don't like, I'll just say fake news. Uh, but now it's like people want to talk about misinformation all the time. I hear it all the time. It's a new buzzword. 
Um, and like you said, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a slightly more sophisticated word, but you're talking about the same, same exact thing. And so, I mean, ultimately it comes down to like, there's a lot of rhetoric of like, okay, we need, we need to deal with this misinformation, right? We need like fact checkers. We need to sort out the, the misinformation from the information and the disinformation. And I think ultimately the obvious question is, okay, who decides what is information versus misinformation? Like who is deciding truth? Like even if you develop like a ministry of truth, who's like, okay, this is correct and this is wrong. Ultimately, if people don't trust that, then they're just going to disagree with whatever they're deciding is true and not true. So it, ultimately, it's always just going to come down to the individual to decide what is true and what isn't true. And like you can present them information and misinformation and Mr. Information and all the other yes. different informations you want. But like ultimately, it's going to come down to the individual what they want to believe. So... I don't know, I think any attempts to try to, like, get ahead, get ahead of this problem are probably uh, non-starters. Yeah, like, um, something we mentioned in the past on this show is uh, the idea that, like, you can say a series of facts, you know, one after the other, and the, re- and the, the fact that you didn't say them in a different order, even... Like, if there's three facts and you say A, C, and B, well, someone could say, well, why don't you say A, B, C? You just became an editor, right? That is a that is a form of, uh, you know, editorializing, which some could say leads to a narrative, which some, which others could say is a false narrative, and that is a false or fake news, right? It's as simple as displaying facts in the wrong order to give someone an impression that something is uh you know according to a certain narrative so i actually am of the opinion that fake news and misinformation is a good thing because it teaches people yeah teaches people to uh (laughs) use their use their um filters and their better judgment and teaches people that you can't just read some sensational story some sensational story and uh, you know, it's going to change your whole opinion or change the way you're going to live your life. you got to be a person who has uh, the ability to see through um, what... Uh, this idea that you can um, create, like, an okay news or, like, like high-fidelity news. It's like, well, no, it's all, it's all editorial to an extent. And so to the extent that people are reading the news and thinking, oh, this is factual and this is not factual, it's like none of it's factual. And the more fake news there is, the more the mask drops. Pun not intended, but kind of fits in a lot of ways. But uh, uh, the more the mask drops and allows people to, you know, engage those filters that they're otherwise remain remaining dormant. <clears throat> I'll take it even further because, like, uh, I hear... Joe Rogan talking about this a lot where he's like he's like in back in the day we used to have Walter Cronkite and everyone would sit down for the six o'clock news and like you know you were getting facts and you could trust that and it's like okay maybe those events factually happen but even just selecting what to talk about 
for an hour is biased. There's like no form of summarization that isn't going to be biased because the amount of information out there like happening all the time is in, like incomprehensible to any person. So just any act of trying to consolidate that information just to say like, we don't talk about what I had for breakfast this morning on the news because no one cares. It's not relevant. But the closer you get to like what is relevant, you know, that's where sort of the bias creeps in is selecting, okay, you know, and we were talking about this actually earlier before we started recording is, you know, Mexico is a country that is our neighbor. And how often do you hear any news about Mexico that isn't related to our border? You know, just news relevant to them, almost never. Like, I, I can't think of it. And so that alone is a bias, just deeming all of that to be irrelevant. Yeah, you know, for news. So I, I think just even the concept, like people go, oh, we just need unbiased news. I, I don't think there's such thing. Right. So I, I don't know. I think that's sort of pointless to try to hope for that uh, that day to come. I, t- I totally agree with that. I thought I think you've explained that to me in the past, and that sort of changed the way that I look at all the news and information that I see. In that, um, the way that I, in my own mind, summarize what you just said there is that, like, even if some source of news was purely objective fact. They're still choosing what not to report on in order to report on any fact. And so there could be genocide in Rwanda, but if they're reporting on coronavirus cases in Philadelphia, they're still selecting to talk about one rather than the other. And even if it's purely fact, there is bias that goes into what gets selected, uh, which everyone should keep in mind. But I think regardless of that fact, there is varying levels of, um, of objective f- fact or level of proof that can go into a news story um, that can vary between one news story and the next. And so I do believe there are some editorial and journalistic like virtues in choosing to have well-researched and well-proven stories before you publish them um, that I think are not necessarily as adhered to today as much as they might have been in the past or at least as much as they could potentially be in the future and that's something worth striving towards um, even if you're going to select which stories to cover um, I think there's varying levels of truth or in re- of research you can uh, and in, journalists can do themselves before publishing a story um, that I think is beneficial to the masses, especially I understand why you could take the position that having more fake news would teach people that they need to research what they read, but I don't know if that's effective in practice. I think there's a lot of people that increasingly want to have a diet of uh, headline stories and especially in a social media environment that caters towards like outrage culture and stories that are, uh, you know, worded in ways to cause outrage and, and bait clicks on the internet, um, which influences the way that populations uh, think and treat one another, which is uh, potentially dangerous and I think more net negative than it is beneficial. Well, I want to make a point, which is that um, 
when you say it's dangerous, the only reason, so this is really interesting to think about, the only reason it can be dangerous for someone to um, take false information as truth and like pr promulgate a narrative that's not true is when that person has power over you and can affect your life in a way that will affect you to a certain extent or to some extent violently, right? In those cases, you have to say, wow, these people are straight up wrong and we have to do something about that because they're going to go and enact legislation that's going to affect me, right? If that person didn't have any power over me, then I don't care what they think, you know what I mean? Like as long as they're not in, uh, enacting some, some way of violence, some, some kind of form of violence in its entirety, um, in their action. I didn't really say that well, but <laughs> you get what I mean. Like, <laughs> but John, to that the, point, uh, if the, you're talking about the, the way that people can have. Apps, I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? A little bit, like this much. Yeah. Get closer. My point about to that point about power structures, I totally agree with that. Where I disagree is it's not only the per people you think of as like legislators with power. So if you have certain people who have power, whereas like, for example, in New Zealand, Christchurch or in Pittsburgh, where someone based off of misinformation has a such a disenchanted view of someone, they kill someone else. Like that person didn't have legislative power over someone else, but they were still able to inflict massive harm over them because of information they got that was... Well, I would argue everyone has legislative power to some extent because you essentially vote for your legislators to a degree. So, yeah, that's what I was referring to. Not even people in power, people that are just your neighbors. They have a, the ability to band together and put someone in office that's going to do something to me that I wouldn't otherwise you know, would be able to stop because they're going to enact violence on me. So the fact that they can inflict yeah. violence on me means that I have to worry about what they're thinking. So, and, in, and what I'm trying to point out in my first statement was that it's impossible for me to deliver them a fact, like a 100% true narrative that's going to, well, it wouldn't be a narrative, just 100% true statements to them and say, here you go, here's your news now, now I don't have to worry about you. It's like, no, that's never going to happen, it's impossible. So that being said, that being the case, the only conclusion, and I, I'd like to come to this conclusion more eloquently, but hopefully you can kind of see how I'm getting. The only conclusion is that we need to disarm the violence that we have over each other. And we need to become more individualistic and less um, aggress aggressive. So I know, I know where you're headed with this. And it's, I, like, essentially, I, your argument would be if the government or whatever... Uh, local, state, or federal had less power over us, then it would be less relevant if people were misinformed because they wouldn't, um, uh, you know, be voting incorrectly, and then those guys would not be exerting power over us. Which I do agree to an extent, but I, I actually I don't completely agree with that because if you go back to like Jim Crow era, that while Jim Crow was a government you know, um, structure. Yeah. It, not all of like the violence that was taking place was state sponsored, right? Like you had collections of people in like the KKK 
just forming mobs together and lynching people because of their ignorance and stupidity and hatred. And so you could say those people were misinformed, um, and that led them to be violent in their own way that didn't necessarily need the state to sponsor their violence. I guess the state in some ways looked the other way, and that's a problem, but I don't think you can completely reduce it down to the state and say, oh, if the state has less power, the problem is solved, and it doesn't matter if people are misinformed and hateful, because I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay, yeah, I get, I get, like, yeah, you're right. <clears throat> so I guess, I, to clarify, what I'm trying to back into is the statement that examples of aggression are always like it's like this the <clears throat> the conclusion you make is uh, examples of aggression are always the problem like that's what's stem that's the stem of the issue it's not the misinformation so if there's people that are organizing for through aggression and exerting aggression then if your lone principle in society is like hey these aggressors are the problem you know then the then you can as that without as a rule you actually would be able to uh, you know, everyone would recognize that those people like the KKK are actually doing wrong. Um, and it's still, it's still not, you don't care what they think, you know, if they're, as long as they're not aggressing, you know, that's, a, that's the difference I'm trying to, trying to make, like, <clears throat> someone who is, uh, someone who is, like, racist or has bad thoughts or has misinformation, it's like, they're never a problem as long as they're not aggressing. So, as long as they're, so you can never get rid of misinformation, but you can get rid of aggression because aggression is like you can witness misinformation. You'll well, never be able to, to exonerate. I, I, I agree with that to an extent, but I, I don't think you just throw your hands up and say they're ignorant. We can't fix them. But I would say you don't fight it with force, but you, you should try to inform like you should, you should try to fight like their ignorance and, and, you know, hopefully make them better people because you don't really just want your neighbors to be a bunch of like ignorant, hateful people. Even if they never are violent towards you, like, do you is that ultimately what you want? Like, out of the people around you, right? Like, yeah, I, that's I not what you want. <clears throat> I agree. Well, I think. So I'm just saying, you should want to fight misinformation. Again, like, I wouldn't, I would just say I disagree, and here's why, and I would lay out my argument. I wouldn't call someone misinformed, because how are you ever going to convince someone or persuade them if your starting point is, like, you're a moron? Right, you have to prove you know it. I, mean? like, I think, I think uh, a difference between what you and I are thinking here, John, is that <clears throat> I think we both agree that, like, uh, a difference different sets of facts and general confusion between people or groups of people is what often leads to violence. And so having misunderstandings of each other and each other's perspectives and logic often leads to violence. And one way to reduce that is to like strip them of power. But I think another way to reduce that, I think we would both agree is to um, help clarify facts and get more factual information to both parties so they can you know better understand one another. I think I am 
the point I was originally making is that one route towards a better informed populace on, on you know, either side of any issue is less misinformation slash fake news, or in other words, more uh, scrutinized and edited, uh, you know, journalistic stories of journalistic integrity. But your point is a way to a more informed public is in fact quite the opposite in that by having a influx of fake news, individuals are then required to you know, fact check all stories that they read and are therefore, you know, doing their own research. But uh, I don't think that is in practice an effective way of having a more informed public and therefore less violent people. Well, now, I'll clarify that. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, I was just going to say, like, like, when you disagree with people, you should be able to just speak your mind and they speak your mind and fi- figure it out, right? And civilly, not violently. You don't try to force your opinion on them and they don't try to force theirs on you. And that's the best way to proceed, right? And maybe no one walks away convinced, but as soon as one side tries to either silence the other or just say, you're wrong, we know you're wrong, so that's it, like, you're not going to talk, this is misinformation. We're just going to take this off the internet, whatever it be. Like, you're not going to ever convince those people. You're only going to make them dig in more to their side. So that's just never going to be the answer. So I, I almost think, like, the term misinformation is, like, not useful, right? Unless it's within your, like, little echo chamber of people who all agree. Other than that, like, there's no, like, when would you ever go into an argument with someone and say you're misinformed unless your intention is to basically ridicule them and, you know, just score points or whatever. Yeah, so it's like actually trying to change someone's Yeah, because you're basically saying you're too stupid to see the difference between fact and fiction by saying you're misinformed. So it's like, it's kind of a loaded term. It's not so bad, but it's gotten so overused at this point that I feel like it's, it's almost insulting when it's like, like you just say, you're like, you're just misinformed, you bought all this misinformation, you know, it, you're basically calling them a fool, rather right. than just saying, like, you can just skip all that and say, okay, I hear your argument, but here's mine. Right, I think and it's... And if it's, you are persuasive, maybe you can get someone now on your side. It, it's equally as much of a brush off as saying, like, someone says some, some make some point or, or argument, and you just say fake news. Right? It's like saying, it's like just saying, like, nah, fuck you, you're wrong. Like you're, and but even right. worse than that, it's like you're misinformed. And saying misinformed is, like we said at the start, is equivalent to saying ah, fake news. And so it's like, okay, don't just say nah, you're wrong. Like explain, you know, poke, poke holes in my argument where you rightly can pre- present, you know, counter arguments and make make your point. But don't just tell me I'm misinformed. Because I'm like, because you don't like my source, you know. Tell me, tell me what's right or wrong about it. Yeah, like for me, like intellectual discourse is like, I can't even place, like I can't emphasize how high I place that in terms of like importance in like a functioning society. And so, yeah, like any kind of, um, you know, non-integrity or 
lack of integrity for like journalists and like actual fake news spreading it's like yeah that's a problem but the only time you need to actually like you you have to start talking about your like winning strategy it's like okay this is the problem we have all this journalistic um lack of integrity it's like how do we address that it's like well we got to write that with real news and we got to go do the real journalism and it's like okay well that's a whole can of worms like you you know that's not to say that's the winning strategy it's like well you haven't even defined anything like that's actually you can't even place your finger on that so what i'm saying is like if you want a winning strategy in terms of like how should society operate based on here's the problem fake news it's like well isolate the fake news that has led to forms of aggression and it's like now target that with intellectual discourse right and if all of society operated that way, it's it's like the game theory would actually, you would actually work out the most important places of fake news, which is leading people to violence. And once you work those out, then you can kind of have the benefit of like, oh, now the intellectual discourse is about like philosophy and like, you know, stuff that no one's actually going to arms about, you know, like you kind of whittle away the important fake news by using that lens and so that's that's what i'm introducing in the conversation like the lens is what is leading to people to aggression and that is the stuff that you have to address through information discourse all that sort of stuff i guess john i have a question because i do mostly agree with you how do you kind of handle people who are intentionally bad actors in that game though where they're deliberately trying to confuse people, whether it's just because they know that there's profit to be had in, you know, spurring some anger, um, or they just kind of want to have followers on Twitter, where if you just basically say, all right, we have someone saying something that is just like patently false because they want to get attention and someone saying, no, actually here are the facts, like I have evidence you're wrong. Like having just like an intellectual discourse where they kind of meet in the middle to me feels dishonest where I agree that Jeff's point is totally right. You can't just like tell people oh, you're an idiot. Like they're going to double down, but kind of is just agreeing to kind of meet in the middle always fair when someone is, when maybe one person's acting in bad faith um, because the only way to counterweight someone acting in terrible faith, if you want to meet in what you view as the appropriate middle is to act in equally bad faith on the other side. And I think that is probably the most like accurate summary of where we are now is you see someone like say something patently ridiculous. So someone just like throws out what about as I'm says something equally ridiculous to kind of try to recenter. And then we just like lose all sense of reality. So I didn't catch all that and I couldn't really hear the second half of it, but the, like what I kind of interpret your question as like, uh, how do you handle someone who's not just a bad journalist or accidentally like someone who's actually misinforming for the purpose of continuing a narrative that is uh neglect of reality and to that again with, with my lens that i was just mentioning you would say you would treat that person if that person is le is promulgating fake news with the intent of calling to action violence you would treat that person as a violent actor because they are they are leading to violence like that person who is you know essentially calling to action violence 
you, you got to treat that no different than doing the violence. Um, and so, the, yeah, so, like, any places of aggression, you, you know, you can just kind of whittle everything away into, like, what, who is being aggressed upon, and then use that as a filter. Um, and then be, and then beyond, or, like, as, apart from that, like, step down from that, if there is an actual violence, then you're free to just dis discuss with them and use logic and um, persuasion to try to um, either outdo them through journalism or uh, make them irrelevant through well-crafted arguments. You know, you can kind of discredit them without any kind of, you know, um, call to, like, they're just fake, don't listen to them. Say, here's why they're wrong, here's why this doesn't make any sense, here's why, you know, you, you create better forms of information to, the, to, to, over, to outdo them. <clears throat> so, uh, Jack, your point actually brings up, like, a, a, a concept that I've been thinking a, a lot about recently, which is just trust and how, how it functions in, like, markets and politics and things like that. Um, and one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is um, trust can be given to an individual, but it can also be given to a brand or a group or an organization. Um, and so the New York Times is not a person. Like there's been many different people running the New York Times, working for the New York Times, etc. cetera. Um, but people will give their trust to the New York Times. Um, and I think giving your trust to a, an organization or a brand is something to be really careful with because individuals tend to be more consistent with trust. I think like if you, if you find an individual who you find to be trustworthy, um, then until they break in your trust, broken your trust, you can tend to, you know, trust them. But we all do this. We all have friends family, et cetera, that we do this with. And so once that trust is broken, that person then has to like make it up to you, right? And then otherwise you sort of burn them. But when you give your trust to like an organization, then organizations, it, it, it tends to have to like hit a critical mass of breaking your trust before you burn them. And that's tricky because then you can sort of collect this is like a weird term they call rent seeking in like economics. It doesn't mean like paying rent, but essentially there is an opportunity for rent seeking in terms of brands or organizations in that, let's say um, you have some super trustworthy journalists who everyone loves great reporting and they start a company and you know, it's, they start the New York times, whatever, whoever started it. And they were just the best, the best journalists. Then that brand is going to have a lot of trust associated. And they might hire people and they might hire great people. But when that person dies and, you know, they're replaced, they change things up, whatever, new management, that trust lingers, even though it may no longer be merited because it may all have all been to that individual. And now you suddenly have individuals who could be acting in bad faith and essentially abusing that trust. They go, we know they trust us, so we're not going to check this source. We're going to push them down this way whatever you have to. I'm not accusing them of doing it, but I'm just saying, uh, here's another trite example. Let's, you have Spotify's top 100 songs in the U.S., and that's probably just the top 
100 songs by place. But let's say Spotify gets into the music producing business and they produce a song and they go, well, we have the top 100. Why, why don't we just put it at the 100 spot, even if it didn't get the place? That's going to boost its views because people check out the chart and go, I want to hear the top song. So now that suddenly it's in the top songs, it's going to get more plays. That's going to generate them revenue. So they're essentially collecting rent on their trust of giving people the top songs to pocket some revenue by compromising that chart. It's no longer what they advertise it to be, and they're able to like collect on that. And so I think trust can be abused, um, and you have to be really careful about trusting organizations unless you know the individual people and their roles at that organization. So, I mean, if you read an article and you really like it, I think you should read the journalist's name. I, I feel like a lot of people don't do that. Read their name, follow them, see what else they write. Give more of your trust to that journalist than you do their employer. And I, and I think that will help like a lot of this because you know, they're good journalists, they're bad journalists, you put them all in the same roof and call it all the same credibility, I think that's playing a dangerous game. I like that example. <clears throat> and I would, I want to like further the example to like kind of solidify uh, the illustration of my point. So let's say that <clears throat> that occurs, Spotify puts this song at number, whatever, at number 10, and it wasn't even enough to crack the top 100, right? It's like, that's not a problem. Spotify is actually acting in its own interest to make money, you know, and help its, you know, the producer or help the artist of the song that it produced, right? Uh, and if Spotify does that over a long time, you know, there's a free market where another service can come along and be like, their ratings, you know, they're getting kickbacks. We're going to do an actual rating. That people are actually going to look at for you know they have a chance to get out competed the problem comes in if there is a group of people that come along and say not only do we love that this song got number 10 we're actually going to take political office on the platform that this song is number 10 in the country and it's like and then so all of a sudden it's like well now the people that say no it's not number 10 in the country well they're at risk of these people coming into power over them <laughs> And they say, no, 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 y you know, y you guys are, you guys are formulating or you guys are circling on this fact, which is not actually true. And we really don't want it, you guys to do this because if you do get power now, it's considered like, f it's considered like fraud or like, um, it's like false that you guys uh, were able to gain power over this agreed upon idea. That's not actually true. I guess the summary of my point, I think the Spotify example is a great example. I think it's a very smart way to think about it. I think talking about like New York Times and WMDs is also really smart. My fear with that argument, and it's not, I don't have the right answer, but my fear with the argument is applying the highest level of skepticism to previously trusted sources that had built trust, while at the same time giving trust to individual sources who may not have deserved it. So when I was talking about individuals who have gained trust that didn't deserve it, like I'll be, I'll give two concrete examples, one on the left, one on the right, uh, Sean King and Mike Lindell, both people who do not deserve any trust yet have weirdly gained a lot of political trust. So Sean King on the far left, um, gained a massive following on Twitter. He was basically just 
fundraising and keeping the funds for himself. Like he would spew up headlines that would enrage people. He'd collect funds, say he was giving them out to charities and he was not doing that. And then Mike Lindell is literally selling pillows and he is talking about conspiracies about the election where his goal is, I mean, maybe it's more clear to me than it is to other people. His goal is not to overturn the election results. I don't think he cares remotely either way. He wants to sell pillows and he has realized that he's actually doing that very, very well. And if he, if his pillow sales stay up, he's going to continue to talk about the things he talks about because that is what's good for his business. And both, both of these guys have done real damage to society. So I don't have a good answer, but I think there is a false dichotomy of giving bad actors the benefit of the doubt while applying extreme skepticism to people who had previously been relatively good actors, even if I agreed that appropriate skepticism should be, I'd rather give appropriate skepticism to everyone than just believe everyone and then figure it out from there. Well, no, right. So what my, I'm saying my, is, my point wasn't I, to. Go ahead, Jeff. My point wasn't to just trust individuals over brands. My point was, you just pointed out two good arguments as why you shouldn't trust those individuals. And right. now that you've pointed that out, it's very easy to just ignore yeah. anything they say because I can just say, "Oh, this is from so and so. This is right. from." I I don't know who those guys are. But, and you uh, said. And you said real damage to society from these two. So, and what, to that I would say, well, it's not that you had to reverse their information or their what they were telling people. What, where did the damage come from? Well, their influence on these parties that can go to war and inflict aggression onto people, that's the source of the damage on society. It wasn't the fact that they actually did the damage by just saying bad things or wrong things. Their ability to persuade a, a group of people who then led to aggression, that was the damage to society. So like Jeff said, if you just tune those people out, you don't have to worry about it unless they're speaking to people who then come to your doorstep and, and commit aggression on you. But you two are smart enough to tune them out. I think a lot of people are not smart enough to tune them out, which is... A, a yeah, but you don't care unless they're aggressive. <laughs> and also, so like you said, you you presented an argument as to why those people should not be trusted. I'm not familiar with them, so I don't really want to speak on them specifically. But you know, let's say you have a good argument, you shouldn't trust these people, and it's it's like okay, I hear your argument, I don't trust them. You can just write them off and not listen to them. Whereas the New York Times, you might say, okay, here they reported this bad info. Well, you could say, oh well, that was just Sally. They fired Sally, so now we can trust them. But we don't necessarily know, like, their system or their, their operating procedures have been fixed. Like, just because they fired one person who did a bad job doesn't mean they're not going to hire someone to replace them who's also going to do a bad job. So my point is, it's harder to determine with organizations if, like, you should no longer trust them anymore or whatever. Because it's just... It's more, they're more complex. So it's more difficult to I, sort of identify should I place my faith in this? So I, I think you should treat organizations like um, just conglomerate, like finders, right? So if you like 
if you like the New York Times, you should like them for their ability to find talented journalists and then follow those journalists. You shouldn't just say, oh, this is in the New York Times. I like the New York Times. It should more so be, okay, here's the New York Times. They got this journalist I like and this journalist I like. And, this, and maybe they introduce you to the new one and then you follow them and you like them. I think you should just pay more attention. People should pay more attention to the individual because that's going to have a, a probably pretty big impact on whether or not you should take their word for it. Or at least you can track their biases and know where they're coming from more easily. I, I generally agree with that, but I think the natural thing to do is when one news source like the New York Times provides you with, you know, five out of five out of six uh, journalists that you see on their site, you trust and like their content, then you see a new one pop up on a, a story that's relevant to you, you're going to say, like, odds are that they vetted that person equally or that they went through the same editorial process in order to publish their article and that that carries some trust weight with it, which I think is somewhat justified. And I think our human attribute of trust is... Uh, like a natural efficiency giver to us as humans, right? And that like it is very costly for us to fact check every piece of information that comes across our face. Obviously, like you said, especially in today's day and age, we're seeing more and more like overall content and, and just a higher dose of information. And it's very costly for us as individuals to truly fact check each thing that each piece of information that we see. And so at some point we need to place trust in people and beyond that in organizations. And we should have a better way of evaluating, you know, levels of trust in organizations. Because I think, like you said, with individuals, if they lie or cheat once, we pretty quickly write them off permanently. But if a organization lies or gets a story wrong once, we're not as quickly we don't as quickly write them off permanently, but um, I think, John, to your earlier point of more fake news leading people to then be more scrutinizing of the information that they see as being beneficial, I I'm still not convinced that that's the case because I think it's so costly for us to have to background check every piece of information we see and then background check, the background checking we did it is so costly to the individual that it comes to a point where you throw your hands up and say, I don't really know what's true and what isn't. And so, so let me clarify. When uh, I say some that trust I, required. When I, when I say that, like you, you introduce new filters, I'm not like, there's like kind of a two dimensional aspect, right? So if before in your life you used the New York times stream as like, your truth that like dictated your life right and you just took it all as fact and then you read something that was wrong from them and then so now you have to start fact checking right you could kind of do like on one axis you could say i'm going to keep it in that position in my life as the source of truth but now i have to do exponentially more work because i have to check every single fact what i'm saying is it's you're going to do less work but you're also going to less you're going to do less work and you're also going to lessen its uh, its ability to impact your life right so it's it's not like you're saying like all the new all the new stories that i have to do like oh i have to read every sentence and go fact check every single line it's like 
you read it now, and it's like, oh, this isn't. I don't think this is the truth anymore. But I'm not going to, or I don't think that this is a true fact, and it's okay because I'm not treating this as like a directive on my life. Like I'm going to treat this as just someone's opinion or someone's editorial that I'm going to take as a with a grain of salt and say, you know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. You know, and and kind of just introduce that skepticism, which actually removes a lot of need for fact checking when you read everything like. Mm. just ideas and you're taking ideas out of it and so you're saying everything will require less fact checking if you allow everything to have less impact on what you believe and so in other words yeah. take everything with a grain of salt assume everything has some level of bias and opinion in it and so no matter what you read say hey that may or may not be true but that's an interesting date and if it's something that i'm going to allow to have a big impact on the way that i see the world then I'll do more fact-checking. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. I would go on to say, you have to kind of look at it like a dynamic system. It, it, it is. It's not like this is the way information works and spreads, and this is how we should, like, you have one men mental model for how it, it is. Because let's take an example where every journalist who reports is, like, perfect. You know, they always reach out to that person for comment. They don't report anything until it's like, well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're great. They're all great journalists. Okay. And you've never encountered any journalist who would ever like have an ulterior motive and, you know, lie to you. You're naturally as human, like we as humans are habit forming and your instinct is going to be to be lulled into complacency with journalism because you know you can always count on it. So your just trust level is naturally going to increase if people, if the average level of competence is really high. So you like, it's just naturally going to be the case because that's how we as humans are. And then that just creates more opportunity for bad actors. The higher the average level of trust is, the more opportunity for someone to lie to people and have them believe it. So it's, it's sort of like a dynamic system. And I would say where we're at right now is probably like, I don't want to say an all time low, but a pretty like far low level of trust in journalism and institutions, at least on maybe with people who disagree with you anyway. Not that maybe you still trust your side heavily, but in terms of trusting like other people to be ask, acting in good faith, it's pretty low right now. Um, you know, I'm not that old, so I can't pretend to you know know what it was like a long time ago um but at least in my life it feels like you know we're approaching a trough but i think ultimately what i hope that will create is like you said john is well now i just take everything with a grain of salt i don't trust any of these people and that sort of discipline is going to make it harder and harder for people to lie and create narratives or whatever you know just mislead people and then ultimately that should you know, make it more profitable if you're if you're being diligent and doing a good job. And I you know, I agree with all of that as long as there's still a threshold for which you will accept new information. So if you come into everything with such a high degree of skepticism that you can't up to so like Jeff off camera we talk about Bayesian statistics all the time. You come in with your priors, you get new information, you get you update to your posteriors. If those priors are so strong 
that no amount of additional data is going to update those opinions, then it, your priors, they don't, then you're not learning. Then you're just, you, you have made no progress. If you're still willing with some level of information to update beliefs based on information that you've seen, then I think if you set a high threshold for that, that's like the best case scenario where you're basically saying, I am not going to be so whimsical that anything I hear is going to vastly change my opinion. I generally, I'm going to trust my decades of life experience, but there are still things in my life that I can learn and then adjust those opinions of because I've now received new information. I think that is like the desired state that we should all be at. I don't think we're all necessarily there. I think most society is not there, but I think like that's the goal. So I, I agree with both of you, especially John. I think everyone should approach things with skepticism. I think the mistake a lot of people make is choosing to be so skeptical that they effectively refuse to update any of their existing beliefs. And that to me is not skepticism. That is just outright denial. So I think that as long as you kind of find that balance, I think that's like the appropriate way to take in new information, especially when like it is hard in this day and age for anyone to filter information. Like the smartest people in the world also have trouble in filtering information when evolutionarily like humans have not had this much information at their fingertips ever until like right now. I would agree and I would just add that it's, it is not only so hard, so difficult to fact check information, but it's also so easy to find counter arguments to anything that you find that it makes it even easier to stick to your priors because you can find something that's counter to whatever story you're hearing in the current media, which will allow you to very easily stick to your prior beliefs and make it even more difficult for people to, to update their opinions on any matter. Yeah, uh, I agree with what you said, Jack. Uh, and I think you're right. There is probably some optimum level of Bayesian reasoning where it's like you're essentially assigning the right probabilities to holding your belief and updating them. Um, but I think that's something everyone, it's ultimately up to the individual or something everyone needs to work on themselves. It's like, you know, there is sort of like an optimum healthiness, right? And like eating healthier and working out more will get you there. It's just, it's just on the individual to do it. Like, I don't, I don't really necessarily see any way to uh, fix that. And I would say social media, the internet, and we talked about this a little bit on one of our podcasts before where we talked about social media. It's kind of, it's still new. It's still fresh, you know, to people, especially in social media. That's like, it's like 10 years old, kind of like really, even less so if you talk about like, like true popularity, maybe uh, to the level it is now. And, you know, I think people are still just still learning how it affects us and still like it's it's we're not going to figure it all at once like it took a long time for people to realize like cigarettes were bad for them you know and so i, I don't know i think uh i think it's just it's going to take time it's, it's still fresh to the to the human race this, this age of information um and you know i i'm optimistic that we'll we'll improve honestly uh, over time we'll get better at you know dealing with this yeah um just to like bring it full circle so that concept of like healthiness of like a society's data appetite or like news appetite 
um, you know, it, it's almost like you could objectively measure that. And then see, you could say like, and Dale, what you're saying, like, oh, um, the fact that you can read counterexamples to your, to, to like reiterate the things that you think that are wrong, you know, that's a sign of unhealthiness, just like someone with like high blood pressure or someone who smokes cigarettes. So it's like pointing to those things, you can easily say like, oh, that's not efficient data transfer in a society. And you can say, oh, that's unhealthy. But the problem, so that, so that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is, so once you recognize there is a problem, you don't have to address it. Like it can solve itself. It could not solve itself, which would eventually solve itself because then everyone that can't get information will just like die off. <laughs> um, so it's like, that's not something you have to address. What you have to address is the information that's leading to aggression. So it's like when a society is very unhealthy in its data appetite, you should look around and say, um, I think it's time to lower the weapons that we have at each other, which through political uh, like war and p through political um, attacks. It's like that's what we got to pull back from. We don't have to increase the healthiness of data because like, you can't really just do that. Like, There's no objective, oh, this direction is healthier. Like everyone has their own, everyone has their own incentive structure that's going to think, you know, that how they can become healthier at, at ingesting news. So the real bottom line is like, even as unhealthy as our society is at um, ingesting news, the action to take is to reduce the aggression that we have on each other and be peaceful in, in some way. I like that. <laughs> If only, though. <laughs> I feel like we're just more and more at each other's throats. I don't know. <laughs> right. You guys have anything else to say? I, think. I could get philosophical and talk about the my favorite philosopher, Edmund Gettier. He talks about knowledge. Where there's three elements of make knowledge up. There's it's justified true belief that is sensitive to the truth. So in order to truly know something, it has to be justified. The logic which you take to actually know something has to make sense. You can't just like guess and be right and then consider that knowledge. It has to be true. You, if, you, if you are wrong about something, you don't have knowledge about something. But then the most importantly, that's sensitive to belief or sensitive to the truth. So if you are wrong, would you then acknowledge that you are wrong? And I think that's what ties most important to this like whole news conversation. When I hear about sources that are trustworthy and not trustworthy to me almost the biggest sign of trust is sources admitting mistakes when they've made mistakes um which is like the biggest paradox to me in the modern consumption of media is that when nowadays when a source makes a mistake and acknowledges it they just get hounded on twitter and it's like wait a minute that's a good thing. Like if they admit they're wrong, we should be happy that they're wrong, that they admitted that they're wrong, because it means that when they're right, we are, if, even if you're still skeptical, slightly more inclined to believe that they're right. Whereas if you see someone who is proven wrong, dig like double down, it makes it very hard to believe them, even if they are right in the situation. And so that is my philosophical. Yeah, I totally agree. It's the Gettier problem. It's a, one of my favorite things I don't I want to extend this too much longer, but um, the counterpoint, or not the counterpoint, but like the, the other side of what you're talking about, like admitting your mistakes, um, the internet, or at least digital media, has created the opportunity to do something called stealth editing, where people just essentially, if they get something wrong, 
they go back and edit it, but don't say they edit it. Yeah, that's and a good one. That that's if admitting your mistakes is a sign of trust, which I agree with, then that's a sign of like someone you should not trust if they're not owning up to their. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess the irony is like the more that someone has pointed out their mistruths in the past, the more you can believe them. <laughs> you know, yeah. they'll, they'll point it out if they, if they know they're wrong. I like that.